Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Are the peacemakers? I'm wearing a hat. I hope that doesn't offend any of you. Uh, if it does, you need to go work out your theology on it, because it's blazing hot up here, and the sun is right in my face, so, so uh, yeah, I, uh, you don't want to see me pass out up here from heat stroke or something like that, so I'm going to wear my hat, and we're going to get into the Word. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 is my key text today, and this is what it says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called Sons of God. The New Living Translation says this. God blesses those, notice this, who work for peace. For they will be called the children of God. I found a funny story here in the Potter's Jar blog. And it says this. A young rabbi found a serious problem in his new congregation. You know, a rabbi is kind of like a Jewish pastor of a Jewish synagogue. And uh, he, he found a serious problem in his new congregation. During the Friday service, half the congregation stood for the prayers and half remained seated. And each side shouted at the other, insisting that theirs was the true tradition. Nothing the rabbi said or did helped to solve the conflict and the impasse. Finally, in desperation, the rabbi sought out the synagogue's 99-year-old founder and previous rabbi. He met the old rabbi in his nursing home, and he poured out his troubles to him. So tell me, he pleaded with the old rabbi, was it the tradition for the congregation to stand during the prayers? No, answered the old rabbi. Okay, well, the young rabbi responded, was it then the tradition for them to sit during the prayers? No, said the old rabbi. And the young rabbi responded, what we have is complete chaos. Half the people stand and shout, and the other half sit, and they scream at each other. And the old rabbi said, oh, yeah, that was their tradition. I feel like that's the time that we're living in. I feel like we are living in a time when people are standing and sitting and shouting. No maskers maskers. People yelling at each other on social media, people yelling at each other over race issues, over political issues. It's really quite sad. When I look at what's happening out there in our country, and I see the division, I see the tearing apart, I've heard many people talk about losing relationships over this, family relationships, friends, long-time journeys. I've noticed that I've already been unfriended on Facebook by a number of people, including a cousin of mine that I, I'm really close with. I started noticing his, nothing was coming up from his feed, and I went over and I looked, and sure enough, he'd unfriended me. And I, I began to recognize that this is a time when there's a lot of shouting and screaming, sitting and standing, and God wants to address that. And I, I want to I focus, hear my heart today, I don't want to focus on what's happening out there in the larger culture. 
I don't, I don't want to focus on what's happening out there when it comes to the society or certain groups. I want to focus on what's happening right here. I want to focus on what's happening in the body of Christ, in the church. And here's my challenge for us today, and I listen carefully. Here's my challenge. I want to ask you, does what you say, do the things that you do, do the posts that you post, is, does the attitude that you hold represent Jesus Christ and his kingdom? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, it doesn't matter how right you might feel you are. If what you're standing for doesn't represent Jesus, you're going down a wrong road and you're in error. Now that's a challenging word. I know it's a challenging word. I know for some of you right now, you're probably already getting angry. But I want to challenge you today to think about what you say, what you do, the attitude and, and the activity going on inside you. As a friend of mine always says, the heart traffic happening inside you. Because I'm really concerned right now. I'm concerned about our witness culturally. I'm just speaking out of my heart right now. But I'm, I'm concerned about the Christian witness of our time. What is the world out there seeing from us? What are they seeing from us? What's the attitude that's being displayed by followers of Jesus Christ right now? Right? I mean, it's kind of like having a fish bumper sticker on the back of your car and flipping off the person that just cut you off. How many of you know that's cognitive dissonance? That's contradiction. That tells the society around us it, it, it gives them a confusing message. And I want to talk about the message that we're displaying right now in the time that we live and challenge us that if it doesn't represent Jesus Christ and his kingdom, then we should probably zip our lips, get off our keyboards, quit being keyboard warriors, and start praying for our society, praying for people and showing the love of God. That's my challenge to us. Now, when I spoke on this a couple months ago, I shared with you that a peacemaker is a person who mediates and tries to bring about harmonious relations between two opposing parties. A peacemaker seeks to reconcile people back to a healthy and harmonious relationship with God and others. The first call as Christians that we have is to help bring peace between God and humanity because we're in rebellion. The scripture teaches humanity, human beings are in rebellion to God. It's called sin. And that that is the status of the human race. And God came to us in Jesus Christ to break down the wall of rebellion, to reconcile us by dying for us. And so that's the first thing we want to tell people, right? And last time we shared, I, I told you that I kind of came up with a paraphrased version of the text, okay? Now this is based upon studying what the Greek words mean in the text. I want you to listen to my paraphrased version of this particular text, and this is what it says. Blessed, happy, and joyful are the peacemakers, peace builders, and reconcilers, for they shall be called sons, mature family representatives, and those like their father in character. Okay, so when we're going about the work of reconciling and peacemaking, we're like God. We're acting like our Father, for they shall be called sons or children of God. What's the point that Jesus is making? 
when we're doing that work, we're acting like God. We're doing the work that God did for us in Jesus Christ. We're bringing people together rather than separating. Now, I know there are reasons to separate, and I'll get to that, but that's the starting point. Last time I shared with you that there are two, I I talked about two different points to what it meant to be a peacemaker, and the first one was that peacemakers don't divide the world into us versus them, right? Because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, The world isn't made up of good guys and bad guys. I know a lot of us think that way, but that's not the way the Bible, that's not the way God looks at humanity. God doesn't look at humanity as good guys and bad guys. He looks at humanity as lost people and redeemed people. Right? Listen, what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole political world but lose their soul? What does it profit a man or a woman if they gain millions of followers and likes and everybody's on their side, their side? And yet, they lose their soul. Am I talking to anybody? You see, God looks at the world as people who are lost and need to be found. As redeemed or unredeemed. And that's, God goes after them. He goes after people to find them. And that's called grace. How many of you believe in grace? That God favors us. God merited favor, his unmerited favor and love. What we could never work for, never gain by anything we could do. No amount of law keeping or good works could ever bring us into good favor with God. And yet God favored us in Jesus Christ apart from anything that we could do. And Jesus died in our place and took our sin and took our judgment and took our death upon himself that we might be reconciled unto God. That is powerful. That's the good news. And the good news is impartial. It doesn't say, well, you know, because you're a Republican, you're you're save-worthy. But because you're a Democrat, you're going to hell. The gospel doesn't say that. And so we don't have a right to treat people that way if God doesn't treat people that way. Do you follow me? Okay. Uh Uh-oh. Started to think I'd lost my iPad, I thought maybe it was crashing or something. Secondly, I I taught you last time is that peacemakers challenge us to be known by our love. Peacemakers challenge us to be known by our love. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. I want to say, wouldn't it be great if your life was marked by and people knew you by your love? By your love for your neighbor, your love for your enemy. Your love for the person who most opposes you. Wouldn't it be amazing if at the end of our life, think about Jesus. What, is, what was Jesus known for more than anything else? That God so loved the world he gave his son. What Jesus said, greater love is no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. But then we also know that Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. And so when we look at this, when we begin to embrace the nature and character of Jesus, we see that to be known for the love of God, loving God, and loving our neighbor, that, that, that could be the greatest marker, the greatest thing anybody could ever say about you at your funeral when they're talking about you is, you know, sometimes Doug was a little kooky on some stuff, but he loved. He loved everybody. He loved his neighbor. He loved his enemies. He loved his critics. He loved God. Or it would say about you, the greatest thing about you was that you loved I don't know about you, that's what I want to be known for. Don't you? Come on, church, help me out. So this week I want to talk about another characteristic of a peacemaker, and I'm going to get right into it, and that is number one, 
Peacemakers are loyal to Jesus and his kingdom before anything else. Listen to that one. Peacemakers are loyal to Jesus and his kingdom before anything else. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything that the Gentiles are seeking after, the unbelieving world is seeking after, will be added to you. You know, peacemakers are loyal to Jesus before anything else. And here are some things that peacemakers are loyal to Jesus before. Number one, they're loyal to Jesus before their family or their heritage. This is a touchy one. Because how many of you know sometimes we can get into the cult of family? Any of you know about the cult of family? Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to touch one here. Do you know Jesus actually said at one point, that our love for him in comparison to our love for our, our family should be as hate. He, he used the word hate, Greek word hate. He said, if you do not, do not hate your family. Now, what was he saying? He wasn't saying we're supposed to hate our families. He was using hyperbole, exaggerated speech to make a point. That our loyalty and our devotion to Jesus Christ has to be above every other love and every other devotion there is. So that when we approach a situation where there are factions and there is anger and there is division, we don't let our mind and our heart be colored by our family devotion when Jesus is on the line. Does that make sense? Oh, man. Our loyalty to Jesus is, is highest, or at least it should be. Now, it's rare that you'll have to make that decision. It's rare that you'll have to make that choice. And by the way, standing for something online that you say is an important cause, and it might be, that's not loyalty to Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, my family unfriended me because of that. Fine. I don't care. You know, Trump should be president over everything. You know, if, if, if that stand, if you, if you equate that stand to your loyalty to Jesus, That's not loyalty to Jesus. That's your political stand. Hold your political stand. Be strong about your political stand. I'm not telling you that you can't, but what I am saying is please don't equate that to following Jesus Christ. Please don't equate your candidate, your party, your political stand to being loyal to Jesus Christ because it's not. It's not. We all have to figure out what it means to be loyal to Jesus Christ, but let's let's not equate the things that we often equate with taking a stand for righteousness. Got quiet in here. How about peacemakers? I'm going to touch on some touchy ones here. Peacemakers are loyal to Jesus even before their country or patriotism. You know, it's okay to love your country. I love my country and to be patriotic. I feel like I'm a pretty patriotic person. As long as your love of country does not eclipse your love of Jesus and his kingdom. You know, there are times when the kingdom of the USA clashes with the kingdom of God, right? There are times when things that we do in this country, beliefs that we hold, cultural things that are normal. You know, culture is kind of like the air. You just breathe it in. So you grow up your whole life in a certain culture. Hear my heart on this. You grow up your whole life in the United States, and you're just breathing the air of American culture. And what begins to happen after a while is if you're not careful, you will equate American patriotic culture with gospel Christianity. And the two don't equate necessarily. 
There are some things they equate on. There are other things. They're far apart. I experience this when I go overseas. Sometimes I go overseas to another country, and there are things culturally that the people in that country can't even see. They can't even seem to break from them, and I'm an outsider, and I come in, and I see them clear as day, and I'm like talking to them about them. Like, that. well, you know, you realize that that's not biblical, and that's not right, and they're like, yeah, we know. I know, but it is what it is. I'm like, no. Sometimes the kingdom of God cuts counter-cultural. In fact, often it cuts counter-cultural to the country that we're raised in. And when we have to take a stand for something that is kingdom of God-oriented, it's really important that we take that stand, even if it means we say, no, I can't agree with that. I can't agree with that. This is a time when Jesus is over America. See, Jesus, we, we often, it's funny, but sometimes we really think, We're the new Israel. We're the new Jerusalem. America is the chosen nation on all the nations of the earth. And that's just not true. It's a great country. I love my country. Amazing things have come from here. Missionaries are sent all over the world from here. We do a lot of things to help the world. We also do a lot of things that hurt the world. You know, 80% of the pornography that goes around the world comes from the United States. I mean, that's just one. And I could go on and on. So we we have to be honest and we have to say, does, is what I'm saying right now representing Jesus and his kingdom, or is it representing just my patriotism? Be patriotic, but be careful that you don't do it in the name of Christ. And if you're a Christian, everything you do is in the name of Christ. Did you hear that? Everything. Thirdly, and this is a touchy one right now too, race or ethnicity when you become a Christ, Christian, the Bible teaches you're grafted into, into and born into a new kind of people, the church of Jesus. In your new family, you have every race, kindred, tongue, and tribe. If we find racism and prejudice clouding the way we value another human being, truly we are in need of repentance and heart change. Our ethnic racial, racial heritage is an important part of who we are as humans. I don't, I don't believe that it's a non-existent thing. It's very real. Culture, race, background, ethnicity is very real. And there are attachments that are real and powerful and beautiful and they make up part of our identity. But let's be careful. It can't ever take the place of or be a priority over being a follower of Jesus. There is no place in the kingdom of God for contempt of another person or another race just because their skin's a different color, their background's a different color. And I don't care, listen, and I don't care if they came here illegally. We don't have a right to treat anybody with contempt. Human beings are human beings. They're made in the image and the likeness of God. Every human being, every human being deserves honor and respect. Or socioeconomic class, right? The fact that a person has more money and lives better than others does not mean that they're somehow, or somehow better than another. Or the fact that someone is better off and has nice things doesn't mean that they are selfish or privileged either. Let love rule. You know, I see judgments going both ways, right? People that are poor look at people with money. Oh, I wonder what they did to get that. They probably cheated. Right? And we make judgments. And then people that are richer, you know, they sometimes they have a little bit more money. They're a little bit more well off. They have the ability to kind of look down on others. And, you know, that's not gospel. That's not gospel. The gospel calls us and requires us to see everybody as being equal at the foot of the cross, right? So we don't make judgments based upon those things. We don't just hang out with the people who match our class. 
right? We don't just have the people over who run in our circles. But what makes the gospel unique is that the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich can worship Jesus together and eat a meal together. That's the kingdom of God. That what, that's what makes it so different, so countercultural. That's why in Rome it was so crazy because Christians came on the scene and there was nothing like the church in the world. It shook the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was built completely on classes. And yet Christianity came along and slaves and masters, they had slavery in the Roman Empire. Slaves and masters broke their barriers down and ate a meal together. And masters set slaves free that were Christians. And they came to the same table and called each other brother, sister. How about political philosophy? I already touched on this. Party, candidate, left versus right, Democrat versus Republican versus independent. We've got to be loyal to Jesus and his people before any party or political spectrum. I know many of us think our political views are akin to Bible truth, but they're not. Beware of the political spirit. I'm telling you what, these next several months, uh, what, it's, it's August right now, mid-August, and we have an election coming in November, it's going to get ugly out there. And all of us are going to be, you know, we're going to be tempted to be sucked in to the yelling, the screaming, the finger pointing, posting stuff. And, and what we have to think about is when you post something, is what you're posting not only giving you a bad witness to the outside world, but is what you're posting causing people right here in this group who read it, who are your friends on Facebook, to think, wow, that person hates me, right? If, if you're a, let's say you're a Democrat. I know we don't have a lot of Democrats in Moses Lake, right? Because we're mostly a conservative community, but let's say you're, you vote Democrat, right? And you have your reasons. And I may not agree with them, but you vote Democrat. And I'm a Republican, right? And I get on Facebook and I say, these demon rats, that's what people call them, these demon rats, I hate them. I, I read a post somebody put up a couple years ago. It said, you know, um, it's not that I hate the Democrats. Well, actually, I hate every one of their red, um, communist, ankle-biting, wimpy ways. I hate them. This was a Christian that posted this. And I remember thinking at the time, they never even considered if what they're doing is offensive to a brother or sister in Christ or to the outside world or whether or not it represents Jesus. They just, they just slipped into autopilot. So we've got to be sure that our loyalty is to Jesus Christ first. I know I'm really hitting some hard ones today. So here are the actions that we can take. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with some real practical stuff, but here are the actions that we can take as followers of Jesus Christ that show what our Father is like, okay? Because remember the end of it. New Living Translation says this, God blesses those who work for peace, for they shall be called the children of God. I, I had here, they shall be called sons, mature family representatives, and those like their Father in character. So here's what we're trying to accomplish. You and I, in the time that we live, in every time, we're trying to be most like our Father and represent Him best so that the society around us and our brothers and sisters can see the love of God, the grace of God, they can see the truth of Jesus. I'm not saying we don't take stands for truth. I'm just saying we have to be very careful how we do it, right? Even truth in a wrong spirit is error. If truth is full of anger and hatred and demonizing the other side, that's not truth. The Bible says of Jesus, he's full of grace and truth. 
Isn't that interesting? It puts the two of them together, grace and truth. Paul speaks later in, in, yeah, in, in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. We should you know, address things in people's lives, error in people's lives. So there are two things. We should be, when we speak, when we represent, we should be full of grace and truth, and we should speak the truth in love. And so every time, if we can't speak the truth in love, and there can't be grace in it, we need to check it, even if it's truth. For truth in its raw just in its raw without grace or without love, truth is just a hammer. It just breaks people. Okay, so here are some things that we can do. First of all, peacemakers show honor to everybody. First Peter 2.7 says this, respect everyone. Now listen, Peter's writing this when Nero, Nero is over Rome. Nero is burning Christians on crosses. He's lighting up his gardens, bringing people in for a celebration, and the light for the garden show are Christians on crosses. Peter writes this in the midst of that. He says, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Respect the king, respect the king. Wow. Secondly, peacemakers speak with respect, dignity, and grace. Colossians 4, 6 says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Wow, they speak with respect, dignity, and grace. Number three, peacemakers listen carefully to understand, not argue or refute. Oh, listen to that one. I'm gonna read it again. Peacemakers listen carefully to understand, not argue or refute. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brethren, brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you can't have a healthy debate. That doesn't mean that you can't refute something. But if our approach in talking with people is we've already got our arguments and we're just waiting for them to take a breath and we're just waiting for them to get done with the sentence and we're not really listening to understand and we're not taking in the things that they're saying so that we might See where they're coming from and understand their viewpoint and even understand it intellectually. And, and, and we might disagree with it, but if we're not listening to understand and to grasp and to show care and respect and honor, all we're doing is listening so that we might argue with them, refute them, put them down, counter them. We have the wrong heart. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak. This is how we often are instead. This is a... The controversial American author Gore Vidal, who had some really crazy political views, had a clear and simple solution for dealing with conflicts. This is what he said. There's not one human problem that could not be solved if people would simply do as I advise. How many of you ever felt that way? You know what? If people would just do what I say, we wouldn't have any of these problems. And we all, here's the funny thing, most of us think that way. We really think we know. We've got it. That's why it's so great to be able to preach the word, because I can just share these scriptures with you, and then we have to deal with the scripture, right? Here's the next one. Peacemakers seek to be impartial and fair. James 2, 1 and 9 says this. My brothers, show no partiality. That means to show favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What does that mean? 
Sometimes we have a tendency, even when we're trying to help people walk through relationships, we have a tendency to favor. I remember years ago, uh, early as a pastor, I got caught in a trap that almost anybody who ever does counseling gets caught in. And that's a trap of favoritism based upon a good story. So what happened is one of the spouses came to me, one of the partners came to me and laid out this story of all the things their spouse was doing that was wrong. And, and uh, man, it was quite a case. I mean, I was sitting there, ooh, I was just feeling it. I was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And the case was being built perfectly. And before you know it, you know, I'm there, I'm ready to pick up the stone. I'm ready to start stoning people. Guilty as charged. You're going down, right? And I was pretty angry. And I, I went to meet with the other spouse. And uh, I was so glad. I just, I went into it with an attitude. You're wrong. They're right. And you need to take responsibility for where you're wrong. This marriage, it's all your problem. It's all your fault. And of course, I got to the table and I started to go that direction. The Holy Spirit kind of checked me. And then they began to pour out their story. And as they poured out their story, several of the things the other person had said started to make sense from a different set of eyes. And I learned what the book of Proverbs says. Don't answer a man until you've heard the other side. Right, and many times what happens is we go into situations with people that because we think we know the, the, this person who he favors character and we think they're a good person and this person's not so good, we go in with prejudgments. And God calls us to be impartial and to be fair. Amen? Last two, because it's hot out here. Peacemakers serve and give to their opponents and enemies. 1 Peter 3.9 says this, listen carefully church, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Wow, that's what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Pay them back with a blessing. Isn't that crazy? That does, it goes against everything inside of us, doesn't it? Pay them back with a blessing? What does that even mean? That means if they mock you, curse you, speak evil against you, call you names, you don't do the same in return. But you bless them. You love them. You treat them like they're favored. You treat them like they're a friend. How many of you know when you do that to people, it freaks them out? It freaks them out. It really does. And lastly, peacemakers endeavor to reconcile people to Christ and each other. What's the goal? The goal is reconciliation. That's the goal. It has to be the clear goal right from the beginning. When you're setting the mark for building relationships between people and those relationships have been broken, the starting point, the mark to shoot for is that they will be reconciled. That's always the mark I shoot for when I'm working with married couples, reconciliation. As long as I have a voice into it, as long as I can do what I can, let's shoot for that mark of reconciliation. It might not happen. It might come to being irreconcilable because of people's choices. But that's what you shoot for, reconciliation, because that's in the nature of God. God's a reconciler. Amen. 
2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's what we're called to do. We're called to reconcile people to God and each other. So I hope, I hope you're hearing my heart today. I hope you're catching the gist of what I'm sharing with you. I'm really, I, have to, I, I want to finish with this. I am really, really concerned for the heart condition of a lot of us. I'm going to tell you, this has been a hard time. I've, I've had to deal with so many things inwardly about what I believe and about where I stand and where I'm at on certain things. And I've had people challenge me like never before with text messages and phone calls and people challenging my belief systems, people challenging why I do or why I said or why I am where I'm at. And it's been a time really to, to you know, test my heart, prove my heart. And this has happened to a lot of our staff and a lot of people I know, we're all going through that. But here's the thing we can do. Even if we don't agree on things, we can, with the Holy Spirit's help, act like Jesus. Right? Let me remind you, when Jesus died on a cross, took our sin, was buried, and rose again, when he came out of that grave, he came out of that grave to begin to make all of creation right again. And then he sent his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit came into us. And so the Spirit of Christ himself indwells Christians, believers, and that spirit is always at work to make us like him. That spirit is always at work in us, trying to change the things inside of us that are not like him. Working to change. That's the purpose. Listen, the purpose of the gospel is not just to get people into heaven by believing in Jesus and his death on the cross. That's only the first step. It's to get heaven into people. It's to change people to become Christ-like. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Let's stand.